God is speaking. Are we listening? You know, sometimes it seems like it'd be a lot easier to uh, hear God and to respond if, if you just speak to us a little more like that, right? And yet I'm not so sure that it would make a difference. We're going to talk about that today in just a second, uh, but first I invite you to pray with me one more time. Father God, we uh, come here today and we want a word from you because you've got the words of eternal life. You've got the answer to life that is truly life, and we're all, we're all seeking it in some way, whether we know it fully or not. And so we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us in a way that we can understand. Help us set aside distractions that we bring in or the distractions that may come during this time. Help us be wholly focused on you and what you're saying to each and every one of us. And then we pray that you deliver us a word that we all need. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, you know what? If, if you're a parent in the room, uh, you've experienced what I'm about to describe. And uh, if you are a kid in the room, or if you've ever been a kid, chances are you've done this to your parents at some point in, in your life. Um, it starts with, with uh, your parent asking you to do something that's really simple. You know, hey, go, go to the pantry and, and grab me the crackers or the peanut butter. Hey, can you go and clean up your homework off of the table so that we can set the table for dinner. Uh, can you go and let the dog out? Because I, I hear the dog scratching at the door. You, you say something that's pretty simple, and yet, uh, as, as we say that to you, you act like we're speaking Klingon. And for those of you who don't know Klingon, for those of you who are just way too cool for that, not nerdy enough to do, do Star Trek, okay, I guess you could say, it's, you're, you act like we're speaking French. Uh, You act like you don't know what we're saying. Even though it's so clear and so obvious, you pretend that you have no idea what's going on. And and that's true in life. There are some things like that in life. Things that come to us, words that are spoken, that are clear. They're understandable, and yet we don't like the message. We don't like the implications of the message. And so we pretend that we don't understand. And then in life, there are also some messages that are clear. But when you hear them, you realize that they, they are so crazy. They are so hard to, to believe or, or to understand or to swallow or, or to really accept that even though they're clear, you say there's, there's no possible way. It's just too crazy. That's what we're going to talk about here this morning, a message like that. So uh, I want to ask you this morning, just to get your mind going, what is the craziest thing someone has ever asked you uh, to do? What, what is the craziest thing someone in your life has asked you to do? Think about that for a second. Uh, for me, uh, when I think about crazy things, I, I immediately think about my dad. Uh, he, he loved to ask us to do crazy things when we were kids. He's kind of a daredevil, which means he is every protective mother's worst nightmare. Um, absolutely. He, he did crazy things. He dragged his kids into doing crazy things. And uh, so, you know, when I was a kid, we'd be climbing way too high in trees. And, you know, my mom's going, oh my goodness, I don't want to see this. And my dad would just keep encouraging us. I remember him encouraging us to do crazy things in the water. You know, growing up in Michigan, there were lots of lakes, good-sized lakes. And, and I remember being a kid, and we'd be, we'd be at, like, some little lake on the, on the, on the you know, dirty, sandy beach. And, and he'd say, hey, over there on the other side, that looks pretty far, doesn't it? Go, yeah. And he'd say, I bet we can swim that. Want to? We'd think, no. And he said, come on, we can do it. You know, he'd, he'd do that stuff all the time. A lot of the stuff had to do with water, you know. This is not me, by the way. Um, I was way cuter as a kid. Um, no. He'd, uh, he'd do all kinds of fun stuff in water, um, you know, jumping off a high dive, jumping off of a train trestle. 
into this deep part of the river that we used to go canoeing in every year, and, and he'd encourage us to do that stuff. He even, even made a rope swing for us down at a creek that was behind our house, and uh, so that we as, as young kids literally could swing from bank to bank on a rope swing, Tarzan style. And uh, so growing up with a guy like my dad, he was always encouraging us to do stuff that was a little crazy, a little dangerous. Uh, but he would always say, when he was asking us to do it, and he'd see that look on our faces like, no way. He'd say, hey, Dion, would I ever ask you to do something where you would get hurt? No, no, of course not, Dad. And he'd say, yeah, just trust me, just trust me. It's going to be okay. And so I did. What's the craziest thing that you've ever done because someone asked you to do it? Uh, some of you maybe have jumped out of an airplane with a friend. Uh, maybe some of you have done uh, bungee jumping or base jumping. Uh, maybe some of you have run half marathons or marathons or triathlons or ultra marathons all because a friend said, hey, wouldn't this be a good idea? Wouldn't this be fun? Uh, some of you have walked into a tattoo parlor and gotten some ink on your body permanently because a friend said, hey, let's go and do this together. This would be a lot of fun, right? We've all done things because a friend has asked us to, even if, even if they're crazy things. Uh, but now I want to change it up on you. I want to ask you not about a friend. I want to ask you, what is the craziest thing God has ever asked you to do? God? God asking us to do crazy things? That may sound confusing to a lot of us. And yet today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a moment where God speaks to a man named Abraham and he asks him to do something that is, that is certifiably insane. And we're going to dive right in today. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, so you can open up your uh, Bible in front of you, New Pew Bibles there uh, in front of you. Someone was good enough to donate those, and we donated all of our old Bibles to other ministries who needed them, so that's a really cool thing. Um, also, you can take out your device. You can go to uversion.com, go to the Live tab, type in STJSTL. Uh, not only can you follow along with the Scripture there, you can give online, you can submit prayer requests. It's a whole way for you to interact and participate using electronic means to do that. The words will also be up here on the screen. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. Let's go. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now already this looks crazy to some of you, right? Uh, this guy, Abraham's hanging out and, and God says, Abraham, audibly. And Abraham goes, yeah, I'm here, no big deal. I mean, wh what is that like? That must be absolutely crazy, right? But, but Abraham's just no ordinary guy. Abraham is a guy who's had numerous encounters like this with God. Uh, starting at about age 80, Abraham was living his life. He was married. He was childless, uh, but he was, he was pretty wealthy, pretty established. God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to move west. Go to this, this new land that I'm going to show you, and I'm going to establish you there someday, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. All nations on earth are going to be blessed through your offspring. And, uh, and Abraham, who was childless, who was 80 years old, living far away from this place, he, he goes, okay, and he does it. He believes God. He trusts God. And, and so he moves, and, and, uh, and he waits for over a decade for God to give him a son, an heir through his wife, Sarah, uh, who eventually is going to be this heir who's going to make him into a great nation so that all nations on earth can be blessed through his offspring. So, so, so Abraham has had this kind of this dynamic with God sometimes, but, but that's what makes what I just told you, especially about his son Isaac, and the long wait for him, that's what makes what you're about to see absolutely nuts. Take a look at what God says next. Then God said, take your son, your only son, 
whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. Now, right now, I know some of your spidey senses are starting to tingle, right? You're going, this does not sound right. God is telling Abraham to go and sacrifice his son, his only son, the one that he loves. Yeah, Isaac, go and sacrifice his son, the son that he waited for over a decade for. God is, God, God, God is telling Abraham to go and sacrifice his kid. Doesn't God love kids? What, what, what the heck is going on here? Now, now, just a quick show of hands. How many of you are tired of crazy people doing things, doing awful things, horrible things, and blaming God for it? Anyone else? Yeah, I'm tired of this fad. I can't wait until it's over. I remember back in the 70s and the 80s, people would do crazy things, awful things, and they'd at least blame the devil, right? They'd say the devil made him do it. There's this new trend now. People do crazy stuff, and they blame God for it. What is this all about? Well, I don't know. If you look at Genesis chapter 22, it sort of seems like God might tell people to do crazy things sometimes. And, and I know that feels really weird for a lot of us. And I suppose that uh, by telling you that God only does this once in the Bible. God only asks a person like Abraham to do this once. This is a one-time deal. God doesn't go around asking people to sacrifice their children all the time. It's not a normal thing. I suppose that could help you feel better about this. But chances are it doesn't. And I suppose I could tell you that, that uh, in the culture that Abraham was living in, that child sacrifice was actually a regular practice. Not by God's people, but by the pagan people who lived all around Abraham, that they would regularly sacrifice their children to their gods. I, I could tell you that, and maybe that would help you with this. But I'm not so sure. Right? I mean, Abraham had to struggle with all of this. And God knows it. I mean, did you see how God belabors the point? He says, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son. Yeah, the son that you love, the son by the name of Isaac, your only legitimate son by your wife Sarah. I want you to take him and I want you to do this. I mean, God is not dismissing the fact that Abraham is being asked to do something extreme. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to right now put yourself in Abraham's place. You've got history with God, okay. But, but God speaks to you and he asks you to do this. Put yourself in Abraham's place right now. Now God will never ask you to do this. It's a one-time deal. But just imagine that you're in Abraham's shoes right now. What would you do? See, I'll tell you what I think most of us would do. We do this, we go, change the channel. We'd turn it off. We'd, we'd tune it out. God says, hey, I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. Sacrifice him. Oh, shh. Right? How do I know we do that? Because that's what we do all the time. That's just what we do. See, we're not living in a world anymore where we have to listen to people or messages that we don't want to hear. We've got options today, right? And so when someone's saying something we don't want to hear, we just go, shh. All right? We've got a news network for every kind of political persuasion. For political parties that don't even exist yet, registered with the government, there's, there's a news channel for you out there, right? So you never have to even listen to news commentators say things that you don't like, ideas that challenge you, or ideas that make you mad. You, you just, just, shh, just turn the channel, right? Tune out. Find someone else. If it's not TV, you've got satellite radio with 100 talk radio stations. You've got internet radio. 
You never have to endure hearing something you don't want to hear. And if you do, the moment you hear it, you just go, you change the channel, you tune out. Church, it's the same thing, right? You don't like what the guy up front is saying? Well, you can just go find another church. Change the channel, go find another church. There's some church somewhere around here where some guy or girl will stand up here and and tell you uh, exactly what you want to hear. Because we've got options today. So, So no longer do we have to sit around and listen to people telling us to do things giving us information, giving us messages that we don't want to hear. We just, we just change the channel. And the reason I say that is because I know that's how we do it. And, and we do this with things that God has asked us to do, told us to do, which are way less crazy than what he just asked Abraham to do. And our response is still the same. We're just like, huh. Right? When God says, hey, I want you to abstain from, from sexual, relationship, or sexual relationship with anyone other than your future spouse, and then when you find that spouse, I want you to commit yourself only to them in that way, we often hear that and we just go, eh, right? Let's see what Oprah has to say about this. I might like her answer better. Or, or when uh, Jesus says, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. And in your mind, you start to picture the face of that person who, who you know, enemy, enemy may be strong, but maybe not in some of your circumstances. That, that person who has hurt you, who has lied about you, who has gossiped about you, that person who got you in trouble at work with your boss, that person who took your job, that person who, who is, uh, you know, drives way too fast in the neighborhood and lets their dog do their business on your lawn, doesn't clean it up. Come on, you know that person. You think about that person and you just go, love my enemy and pray for, pray for them? I want to hear that. I want to hear how I can get even with my enemy and not get caught, right? That's what I want to hear. Let me just change the channel. When God says, hey, I want you to give 10% of your income back to me, like we heard Chris talking about just a minute ago. 10% of your income, just give it back to me. We hear that and we're like, 10%? 10%? Uh, how about this? How about I work a deal like Abraham got? How about I give you my firstborn instead? Way cheaper, right? Can I just do that? Can, can I? No, no. Oh, shh. Forget it. Right? This is what we do all the time. And, and so Abraham's in this place right now. I mean, putting yourself in his place. He's in this place where God has just asked him to do something that is unthinkable for every person in here, especially those of us who have been parents at some point in our lives. Absolutely unthinkable. And so is he going to do what we do? Is he going to just, is he going to tune out? Is he going to pretend he doesn't understand? What? What? I can't hear you, God. What? It's too loud. Interference. What what is he going to do? Well, let's see. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering... He set out for the place God had told him about. Uh, On the third day, by the way, in some of this, um, you're going to see some highlighted words here. Um, I'm not going to necessarily talk about these words. It's kind of a word game you can play. Uh, I've highlighted some phrases here that uh, that might be familiar to you. And I, I just want you to think about these phrases here and try to think about any other significant event in the Bible uh, which these phrases might also appear. Just kind of go ahead and do a connection for you in your mind um, for yourself. I, I think... I think you'd be able to do it. So on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. 
So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son. So he placed the wood on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, "Uh, Father, yes, my son, Abraham answered him. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Now, I, I just want you to think about how heartbreaking this is. I mean, here's Isaac. I'm not sure how old he is. Old enough to walk and talk and carry firewood. We have, we have no idea. Uh, but, but here he is, and he's, and he's just going on a trip with his dad. We're going on a trip. We're going uh, to make a sacrifice. We're going to go offer things to God. And, and this is great. I'm here with my dad. And, and he's just walking along in trust with his dad, having no idea what's waiting for him once they get there. Now, now before you villainize or demonize Abraham, here's what I want you to think about. That, that Isaac, yes, he's walking along in trust with his father, having no idea what's waiting for him, but that's exactly what Abraham's doing. He's walking along in trust with his father, having no idea what's waiting for them. Let's see what happens. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, now I have no idea what Abraham meant when he said this. You know, is, is he just trying to keep Isaac from figuring out what's going on, maybe? Or, or is there something deeper going on here? Is, is Abraham, does he actually believe that they're going to get there and God's going to provide some other sacrifice, that he's not going to have to go through it? D- does Abraham believe that if he does go through with it, that, that God might even do something still, that he might raise Isaac from the dead? We don't know, but, but what we see is that this is a man who's got incredible trust in his father, that he's willing to do something that is unthinkable for most of us. Now, 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 we talk about trust all the time. And I think most of us in this room would say to some degree, we, we trust God. Yeah, yeah, I trust God. Do you trust God? Sure I do. I want to drill down on that for a second. I want to ask you, what do we mean when we say that? Do we mean we trust God if? Or do we mean we trust God, period? See, as you can see, this, this first kind, it's loaded with conditions. So yeah, I'll trust God if it makes sense. If he asks me to do something that already fits in with my plan for life. I'll trust him if he guarantees me success. If he can promise me that it won't hurt or that I won't end up in pain. Yeah, yeah, I'll trust God if it takes me to being more powerful or successful or or happier in my life. All the things we talked about in our last series, winning. Yeah, I'll trust God if fill in the blank. All kinds of conditions that we put there. And, and then the bottom kind you can see, this other kind of trust, this is unconditional. No ifs. I'm just going to trust God, period. That's it. This one comes naturally to us. I mean, this is how we think of trust. I'll trust you if you prove yourself trustworthy. If it makes sense, this one is totally unnatural. Now, I'm just going to gamble and say that, that I think most of us in this room probably are, are more here than here. We trust God if. We want to trust God. We want to follow God if it makes sense, if it fits with our lives, if it doesn't cost us too much, if it's not too inconvenient. But which do you think was Abraham? Now, now here's the thing. If you're a person sitting here today uh, and, and you think, 
you know, I, I would like to move from this to this. And maybe you're not there yet, and that's okay. Maybe you're going, I, I don't, if, if this is what this means, I don't want to do this. But, but if you're someone who wants to move here, from here to here, here's the secret. The only way you get here, trusting God, period, is realizing that God loves you. And that he's good. And that he's got good plans for your life. And the only way that you'll know that God loves you and that he's good and that he's got good plans for your life is when you step out, when God asks you to do something crazy. And you watch as he provides. See, this wasn't the first time that that God asked Abraham to do something crazy. It's not like this is the first time Abraham heard God speak. This wasn't the first test he had given Abraham. I already told you that he said, Abraham, I want you to move to the wild, wild west among all these crazy tribal nomad people, warlords. Uh, Yeah, just take your wife there and just go live there. That's fine. And you don't really have a spot, but you know, you can find a spot and and, and I'm going to make you into a nation. And Right, I've moved my family before from, from Detroit to St. Louis, not near so crazy, and I know how hard that was. Maybe you've done that too. And yet, and yet God asked Abraham to do something crazy, and Abraham just had to go, okay, I'm going to step out in faith, and guess what he saw? He saw that God provided. He learned that God loves him, and that he's good, and that he's got good plans for his life. And so the next time God spoke to him and said, Abraham, I want you to do this, Abraham was like, okay, I'm going to step out. And he saw that God provided, and he realized that God loves him, and he's good, and he's got good plans for his life. And eventually, Abraham started to move from being a guy who trusts God if to being a guy who trusts God, period. Which kind of trust do you think you have? Uh, When God calls you to do something crazy, far less crazy than even what he's calling Abraham to do, and you know, when God calls you to do some of the things we've talked about today, to, to abstain, to sacrifice, to love someone who's hurt you, uh, to give up your money, to live open-handedly, to, to be generous. When God calls you to do that stuff, what's your response? What kind of trust do you evidence in your life? D- do you just totally tune him out completely? Maybe that's you. But, but I think for most of us, that's, that's probably not us. I think it's more likely that we, we give him a list of conditions. We say, okay, I'll go along if you can meet my demands. So, so do you uh, tune him out completely? Do you give him a list of conditions? Or do you trust? Do you step out in faith and wait to see him provide so that you can learn that he is in fact good. I mean, the only way you can, you can know that is you, you got to learn it. You got to see it, that he is good, that he loves you, and that he wants good things for your life. Well, uh, maybe we can learn something from Abraham's experience today. So Abraham's going along. He's trusting God, period. Uh, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I mean, just imagine, and those of you who are parents, I think think you can, 
And even if you're not, I, I think you can still imagine. Imagine what Abraham is going through in this moment. Imagine the all-out warfare that is going on inside of his spirit at this very moment. He is trusting God, period, because he knows in his heart that God loves him and he's good and he wants good things for his life. But God is asking him to do something impossible. I mean, imagine how Abraham's hands are shaking as he ties up his son and lays him on a, on a pile of wood. I mean, imagine how his, how his heart is beating in his chest and, and you know, it's moving up into his throat and, 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 he's, and, he's, and he's sweating and he's trying to hold back the tears and, and he's trying not to tip his son off to the fact that something very bad is going to happen even as his son gets more and more afraid. I mean, just imagine what this man is feeling and, and yet he doesn't stop, he keeps going. And, and so it says, that then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Maybe this is weird to you kind of weird to me when I read it. I'm like, what? So that's what God wants. That's what this whole thing is all about. God wants us to be afraid of him. You know, I think a better translation of this is, is trust. Now I know that you trust God, that, that you love God above all things. In the Bible, there are a couple different kinds of fear. There's, there's a slave-like fear and there's child-like fear. You know, a slave, a slave's fear, a slave feels fear when his master walks into the room. Uh, what's, what's my master going to find? What, are they going to, you know, nitpick me? Are they going to beat me? That's how a slave experiences fear. A child experiences fear just the opposite. A child is afraid when their parent walks out of the room, right? I've got small kids. I, I know this is true. We fight this battle every night at bedtime sometimes. Which kind of fear do you think we're talking about here? We're talking about childlike fear. Now I know that, that you, you love, you trust above all things God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And, and then it continues. Let's, let's look at how this ends. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, singular, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham and his servants, uh, they head on to some other place, along with his son. So you see, it was all a test. God never really wanted him to sacrifice his son. It, it, it was a test crazy test, but it was, a cra- uh, it was just a total test. And, and Abraham, he, uh, he, he passed the test with flying colors, A+. Plus. And yet for a lot of us, this is not sitting well still. 
I bet some of us right now are thinking, you know, why would God ever ask someone to, 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 to do a test like this? What kind of twisted game is this that God is playing with people? Just so that God would know that Abraham loves him? Didn't he already know? Couldn't God figure that out in some less offensive way? Of course he could. But this test wasn't really about God. It wasn't about God really discovering whether or not Abraham loved him. God knew that. He could see in Abraham's heart. He knows that. In fact, this test was actually all about Abraham. See, through this test, Abraham proved to himself that he really was a man who trusted God, period. See, Abraham learned something about himself here. God didn't learn anything. God knows. But, but Abraham learned that, that he, in fact, is a man who, who, who was willing to trust God, period, at the, when it came to the thing that, that, that mattered most to him. He was ready to offer that up because he trusted God, period. Now, why does that matter? Why is that important? And, and I think it's hugely important, and here's why. See, when trusting God, period, becomes your reality, or at least more of your reality, then all fear is taken out of life and living. I'll say that again. When trusting God, period, not trusting God if, trusting God, period, when that becomes more of your reality, then all fear, I know it sounds scary, but, but it's actually the opposite. All fear is taken out of life and living. See, see, that's what Abraham's life will demonstrate later on. This guy, because of this stuff, lives a fearless life. I mean, not perfectly, but way better than we are because he knows that God is good and he loves him and he'll provide. He's learned that. And so all fear is taken out of life and living. And, and when you learn that, the same thing will happen for you. When you can learn to trust God, period, without all the questions and, and qualifications and conditions that we heap on stuff, then you'll be free from fear for all of your life and all of its living. And aren't you tired of being afraid? Gosh, we're so fearful. Aren't you tired of being afraid that you're going to lose your job and you're not going to pay your bills? Or afraid that you're not going to be able to help your kid with college or that you're not going to have enough money in between retirement and death to actually live a life of dignity? Aren't you tired of being afraid? Of getting sick? Of dying from your sickness? Aren't you tired of, of being afraid of being rejected or being abandoned or being alone for the rest of your life? Aren't you tired of that stuff? See, when you can learn, if God gives you the opportunity to grow into this kind of trust, that's, that's a trust, period, you will be free from fear for all of life and all of living. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, man, but Abraham, he had all this other stuff, and, and God helped him because, you know, God, God talked to him, and he, and he did this stuff, and, and he got to see God's track record. And I want you to think for a second, how much greater is God's track record for us? See, I love this. This very mountain, Mount Moriah, where Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son, do you know that became the place where the Hebrew temple was later built? On the very location. So, so this place where God told Abraham to sacrifice his son and then spared him and provided a sacrifice, that became this place where for a thousand years, Hebrew people would go and offer sacrifices to their God in the Hebrew temple. 
And then after about a thousand years, that became the place where Jesus Christ, God's only son, the one whom he loves, was condemned to death to become the sacrifice for the sin of the world. And he was carried outside of the city and crucified there. Do you realize what God's track record is and how much greater it is for us than even for Abraham? See, see, many scholars even believe that, uh, that the angel of the Lord, the one who appeared to Abraham and said, no, don't do it, don't kill your son. Many scholars believe that that angel of the Lord is, is Jesus before he put on flesh. It is, it is the Christ pre-incarnate. And if that's true, get what God does here. God sends his son to intervene to save Abraham's son. And he announces that someday he himself is going to become the sacrifice. Jesus says, Abraham, I don't want your son to die because I'm going to die for you and for everyone who's ever lived. Talk about an amazing track record. See, here's the great punchline of this whole story, and it just blows me away that God, God had this all happen you know, hundreds, more than a thousand years before Jesus ever walked on the planet. But here's the great punchline of the story. That God did what he would never make anyone else do. On Mount Moriah, God did what he would never make anyone else do. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. He did not make him go through it. He stopped him. He said, no, 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 you don't have to. And yet God did what Abraham didn't do, what he would never make anyone else do. He gave us his son. His only son as the sacrifice that we needed for our life and our freedom. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. Sitting here today, we, we can't be envious of what Abraham saw of God's track record with him. I mean, how much greater is God's track record with us? How much, how much more have we seen? See, God has provided for you. He did what no one else would ever do. He gave up his son for you. God tested himself, and he passed that test to prove to you that he is trustworthy. Not if, but period. See, here's the thing. When God speaks, you know, the next time you're in your Bible and you read something that you don't like or it doesn't make sense or it just seems too challenging, maybe you're misunderstanding it. You can get some counsel. That's okay. Or, or the next time God speaks to your heart and, uh, and, he, and he says something to you that, that just, just sounds so crazy, illogical, when fear starts creeping in, just remember his track record. Remember his love that he has shown you. That he has done what no one else would ever do, what he's never asked anyone else to do. He's given up everything for you. Remember his goodness and then trust him, period. Step out and watch him provide.